Welcome to Prophetic Voices Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation. Welcome back. I'm so glad you could join us today. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing some of the readings for Advent 1, focusing particularly on our Gospel lesson, Luke, Psalm 25, and Jeremiah. With me today, I have three guests. Dr. Katina Asmakopoulos is a medical doctor living in the Midwest. She is currently pursuing her Juris Doctorate and comes to us from the Greek Orthodox tradition. Welcome, Katina. G.J. Gordy is the Communications Director for Navajo Land Area Mission and lives in New Mexico. Her clans are one who walks around, born into the Salt Clan, and her maternal grandparents are the Edgewater people, and her paternal grandparents are the Mud people. Welcome, G.J. And the Reverend Dr. Laura Stanley is canon to the ordinary in the Episcopal Diocese of South Dakota. Prior to serving as canon, she spent over eight years serving on the Rosebud Reservation. Welcome, Lauren. Let's go ahead and get started. What do you think is important to keep in mind during Advent, especially this year? I I have to tell you that I get very frustrated when we have Advent be this season of waiting, and it's because it's very passive. Um, and so um, I think that we have to be active. We have to look at Advent as an active verb, a call to go out into the world and make a difference. Um, the example I like to use is, you know, when my mother used to come and visit me, you're, yes, indeed, I always cleaned that house. I had one closet where I threw all the stuff I didn't want her to ever be able to see. Um, and I would put a great big X over it and say, do not open. But the rest of the place would sparkle. So the preparation is not something sitting back and being passive. I think to prepare for the coming of the Christ child, we have to be darned active and get out there and do the gospel and build that beloved community. I was thinking that as well. And I know we're not really talking about the collect right now, but they use the phrase um, put on the armor of light. And just the word armor really made me think because when are you wearing armor? Not while you're sitting on the couch watching Netflix or whatever, you know, you wear armor to battle. So it really implies that you are, um, you will have enemies or be facing some sort of adversary and you're out there fighting, but they don't necessarily say with weapons, like with guns and everything. It's just armor is for protection, but you're still there and you're present. I think in this season of Advent, um, up until now, there's been a lot of work in the Indigenous Caucus about uh, land acknowledgement. So I think one of the best things to do during Advent when we're supposed to be sitting still and listening is to listen to people that are not very much listened to, which would be people of color. And one of the things to learn about would be land acknowledgement. What land do you stand on? And that's what I'm thinking about right now. Hmm. I was thinking about this long, like... We've all been waiting, but we've been very actively waiting, right? We've all been waiting for the end of COVID. We've been waiting for the economy to shift. We've been waiting for whatever, all of these different things folks have been waiting for and how it's just been dragging and dragging. And I remember when it started, people were like, this is a marathon and not a sprint. And I don't think anybody thought the marathon 
you know, whatever a marathon is, like 26 miles. This feels like it's been like a thousand miles and we're still kind of, I'm starting to feel like the folks in Egypt when they're like, Moses, why did you take us out here now? <laughs> we're sick of this. <laughs> um, what kind of messages do you think congregations need to hear right now? Oh, I think it's really, really important for us to be to be preaching about building the beloved community uh, and, and how we can do that. And GJ, you're talking about the land acknowledgement. This is a conversation that we're having here in South Dakota and trying to figure out the actual right way to talk about it. Because there are some areas where you can say, well, this is Lakota, but this is Dakota and this is Nakota. And so one of my colleagues called and said, how do I handle that? And I said, Ocheti Shakon. Just, it's all, it's the, the, the council fires of all the, the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota combined. The land acknowledgement is important. The boarding school issue. This is the moment when we really need to grab on to Native Lives Matter and to be good allies and good speakers and, and just keep holding this up. And, and I think that these are, are, you know, people call it social justice and then you get into that discussion. Oh, you're being political. And I'm like, have you ever read the Gospels? Jesus is a pretty political animal. And I think if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to do the same thing as long as our focus is on righteousness and justice. Hmm. And I think it's important to, because you talked about justice a little bit. Um, if you look at uh, the Psalm, they do talk about justice, but it's a lot of like looking toward God to um, implement the justice. So I think. Um, while we want to like be active and be standing up for things we believe in and try to listen to voices and concerns that are not necessarily just our own um, in terms of feeling like there's a lack of fairness um, like in the world, I think we can also look to God too and just trust that he will, um, you know, justice will be in his hands too. I, I totally agree that we have to, we look to God for God's justice, because I think that that's what guides us. But um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about this, and she's ready to give up. She says, you know, it's never going to change. It's never going to get any better. Um, it's just, that's all there is to it. And, and I said, well, look at some of the changes that we have made so far. We have to build on those and we cannot passively sit back and wait for the guy down, down the street to do the work because the guy down the street's probably at Starbucks. So we're the ones who are going to have to stand up and do this. I'm thinking right now um, heavily in my prayers, uh, they've done, they've started the jury selection for Ahmad Arbery for the murder of Ahmad Arbery down in Georgia. And they're, they've got a thousand people who have been called thus far to try and get a jury of 12 with four alternates. And some of the people who've already been dismissed are people who are terrified of being on this jury. They are terrified of what might happen to them. And, and I think that we have to give people the courage to stand up. The courage, you know, it's, it's what it says, uh, to, to be able to, what is it? Um, yeah, I've got to look at the, I want to get the quote right because it would be stupid if I got it wrong. Stand up and hold your head high. 
I think Jesus is telling us to do that. And I think we need to do that. And we need to give people that kind of courage. I think the message that I think congregations need to hear is that everybody is in the process of learning. There's no person that is that knows everything that is right. And uh, Jesus was a teacher, so he taught, but he also listened to the people to see what would be the right thing to do. And uh, that happens, I think, a lot. As being a layperson that has not gone to seminary, I know, uh, and also being uh, in the congregation, I know that there's a lot of things that clergy people sign up on the pulpit and they teach you and they um, do their sermons. But there's a lot of things that people in the congregation don't know. So I think um, that's where I would go with teaching or learning together. Um, I think these talks and these studies that uh, people do, like the Disciples Prayer Book Study, everybody's in a process of learning and thinking about things in a different way. And I think that's what the congregation needs to know. Even when it comes to boarding school trauma, I know a lot of people here in Navajo land did not experience anything traumatic during boarding school trauma, during boarding schools. But that doesn't mean that nobody else did. So I think that's what needs to be learned, that your experiences in life are different from other people's experiences in life. And that would be the message that I would send. Hmm. I think that's so important. Because I think as we, I know as we read the Bible, that's been interesting, like we'll read it through our own lens, right? So often like black folks, when they read the Bible, they identify heavily with the Israelites escape from slavery in Egypt. Whereas native indigenous people, we read it and we see ourselves as the Canaanites getting invaded by the Israelites. Like there's this whole different way. And it's almost, it's so hard to, like you, you can't always shift that. And so just because we read the same passage doesn't mean we're thinking the same thing. Context and your own personal history always determine how you're going to understand the scripture. I think also kind of relating it back to COVID, like um, I know everyone kind of feels like they're waiting for COVID to be done, but you know, the reality is the world could end tomorrow. And then we've just been waiting for COVID to end. And um, I think it's good to focus on trying to appreciate the things that have changed um, and the positives that they bring. So talking a lot about community and how to build your sense of community when you're isolated and how to reach out to people. Um, and then also to think about when COVID does end, how will this change things? There are a lot of people that are isolated for reasons not related to COVID or they, they can't get out of their homes, um, different disabilities. And so trying to think about how you may, might have gained a new perspective um, being in COVID, living in COVID and how you can apply that. I'm going to switch to the psalm because I think you brought it up, Katina. What sort of truth-telling does the psalm call us to and what actions are we called to? You know what got me to um, the first Sunday that I was in the, uh, came to the Episcopal Church? I was born and bred to the Catholic Church, the French Catholic Church. And um, it took me years to get up the courage. <clears throat> and, and then I go to the uh, Episcopal Church and we're doing the confession. And it says that we're supposed to delight in your will and walk in your ways. And I literally turned to my friend, who was very 
gently as a Catholic, also trying to make sure we weren't going to hell from having gone to worship an Episcopal <laughs> church. I'm not kidding. We were both terrified we were going to hell. We were all, we were raised by nuns. And um, I looked and I said, look at the doctrine that is in here. Look at this. It's right in their confession. This is great. This comes right out of the scriptures. This is fabulous because it's part of our call of who we're to be. And what does the psalm tell us to do? But show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your path. And, and I think that if you're looking at the psalm, it's, it's, folks, this is what we're called to do and to take courage because half of that psalm is don't let me be humiliated. Don't let, uh, let not my enemies triumph over me. This is going to be really hard. This is going to be hard. Please, you got to get me through this. I'll do it, but you got to be with me. Before um, COVID happened, Navajo Land never really did food ministries. We didn't do a lot of uh, outreach. We didn't, and that was something new that happened in May of 2020. We got all of this support from um, people from all around the Episcopal Church, and we started pushing out food because we didn't have enough items on our shelves. We have 13 grocery stores. We didn't have toilet paper. So that's something that we started doing. We did that for a full year up until May, and then we continued again in November. And for me, I think this COVID has opened the eyes to everybody, especially in Navajo land, about the things that were going on with our people and our communities. Before COVID hit, there was a need, but we, we didn't think about it. We didn't see it because COVID was not here. We weren't pushed to go visit them at their houses, on the dirt roads, on the no roads. And I think this really opened our eyes to a lot of things that have been overlooked for far too long. And then I see, like you just mentioned, show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. So COVID was a path for us to see, to teach us, to be humble, to help those in our own communities, those living next door, our neighbors. COVID has finally shown us that our ministry is not confined to the four walls of a building. Our ministry is the world. And we need to get out there and do it. And COVID has finally shown a lot of people this. And so I, I think that that's show me your paths or teach me your paths is what G, uh, the psalmist is saying. And it's going to lead us to places we never dreamed of. Mm. Like you're saying, GJ, down those dirt roads to visit those people. You knew there were people at the end of that dirt road, but you never stopped. And that's, this is what we all are going through. We still have it a little bit where there's so much removal or distance from people. COVID has also made us think a little bit more of our fragileness and how close we can be to people. And it's also the people who sometimes maybe are in their ivory towers and aren't seeing as close to the rest of us. They've sort of had to think about that because it's impacted them in some ways. I was thinking about the gospel and reading the gospel. And it, I was like, Advent's supposed to be this time of hopeful expectancy and the gospel seems so apocalyptic. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? The closing line was kind of praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place. And I feel like COVID sort of made us feel like there's a lot that we wish we could escape. Uh, police violence against people of color has made us feel that there's a lot that we wish we could escape. Global climate change and the impacts to our earth has made us feel like there are things we might want to escape. How do you hold that tension between this hopefulness, but also there's this fear? From a medical perspective, just talking about um, hope, one thing that is we're trying to use a little bit more is palliative care. And for people who aren't familiar, palliative care is end-of-life care for people that are terminally ill. So when we take our course on palliative care, we talk a lot about how to give people hope 
And it's kind of a tough question too, because if somebody is terminally ill and you're trying to give them hope, what is that hope that you're trying to give them? It's not necessarily hope that you'll get better or hope that you will have, you know, more years than you might. So I think it's important to keep in mind that hope doesn't just equal the time that we have necessarily. You can have hope by creating meaning with whatever time that you have, however short, however long. God kind of calls to us to create that meaning for ourselves and for others. In the medical setting, we we might ask, you know, is there a, a legacy you want to leave for your grandchildren? Or, you know, you would you like to spend your time like volunteering or donating or whatever you can. So I think being that intentional about the meaning that we're creating in our lives um, is important. That's something we can kind of think about too. The hope that I draw from this is really Jesus telling us, stand up, hold your head high. Not that I'm any better, not that my faith is any better than anybody else. It's what I tell acolytes because I travel a lot and I'm uh, in a different church almost every Sunday now. um, And I get these acolytes who don't know me. And I don't know the traditions of their particular parish. And I tell them, listen, I'm probably going to make mistakes. If you need to push and pull me around, that's okay. As long as we are being faithful in our intentions, the angels will fix everything before it gets to God. It's when we're screwing around, we're not paying attention, then we're in trouble because the angels are definitely at Starbucks and God gets to see that we're not doing a good job. And that's how I kind of approach life. I'm going to be as intentional as possible. I'm going to do the best I can, even in some days it's going to be a marvelous failure, flame out like no tomorrow. But I'm trying, and so my intentions are good enough that I can stand up and hold my head high in front of God and say, I tried. I tried to love. And, and I think when you're looking at this apocalyptic literature that always, this is how Advent always begins, it's like, yeah, but don't focus on that. Because this is Luke's gospel. This is not Mark's gospel, which is definitely Mark's gospel. You're being pounded into the earth, and that's all there is to it. But in Luke's gospel, there's hopefulness that's built right into it. And I think we have to focus on that and say it's a hard road, no doubt about it. But be faithful in your intentions, pursue righteousness, and you will be able to stand up and hold your head high as you proclaim God's love to the world. There were a couple phrases that made me think about intention too. One here they say, and that the day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. And it automatically made me think of scrolling through Facebook or how much time we could waste kind of going down a rabbit hole on YouTube. And how often are we, you know, like, oh, I'll get to my work. I'll just watch, you know, one more video or whatever. And then we find ourselves having wasted so much time. And exactly that happens. The day catches you unexpectedly and you've not gotten all the things done that you wanted to do. So keeping intention at the front of your mind is important. And then the other one is be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Dissipation, talking about like chemicals or physics, technically it's talking about something that is in one form that is then transformed to another form or the final form, which ultimately has less energy and less capacity to do work than the original form. And so just thinking about that, are we doing things that make us then have less capacity to do work or have less energy? And what are those things? Can we eliminate them? Are there things that help us to have more capacity to do work and more energy 
And can we implement those in our lives more? I was also thinking about the last sentence, the last, the last paragraph, and about the day will catch you unexpectedly like a trap. And I think about right now, my daughter's eight and we're homeschooling her. She does school half online and then we do the rest of the teaching. So I think about things that she's learning, like how to be a good citizen, uh, social studies, um, all of these things. And I tell her, well, yeah, um, be a good citizen. But then think about um, you're in Navajo. We're in a border town. Um, we're darker than most Navajos. And I teach her about racism and all of this stuff, especially like racism in the church. And then with my my frame of thought is I don't want her to be surprised later in life when she's like, oh, um, this person is racist. What should I do? So I'm thinking like, she's eight, should I be teaching her this? But at the same time, it's preparing her. <laughs> and so I, I, I think about the um, these things, about the social justice behind a lot of things that's being taught in school, because a lot of the things are geared towards people that are not people of color, or towards people that are darker people of color. And the a lot of this especially working in the church or being on, in general convention, legislative committees, all these things, it's, it's difficult to be, to take up space, I guess. It's difficult to try to show how um, we're still here. I don't know. It's, it sounds really generic. We're still here. But then at the same time, if you look through the, the, the doors of the church, how many people can you see that are people of color? And how many people um, do you see representing their culture? Um, it's, it's a lot to think about. And of course, preparing my daughter for the future. I've never had anybody teach me about these things. Um, I worked mainly with at-risk children, so it wasn't really something that um, I had to face, but now we're in the church, we work for the church, we're, um, I think there's only 30 of us at General Convention that are Indigenous peoples out of over 800, so just trying to find a way to prepare ourselves, but then also to raise our voices. I think that's um, really important to kind of just talking about advocacy. And um, like you said, it's, it's hard to stand up for yourself. And I think that's totally true. It's for a lot of us, it's much easier to advocate for the person next to us and to stand up for them than it is to stand up for ourselves. And I think that um, it's good that you're, we're talking about it and you're teaching more because that will help us kind of have the courage to stand up for ourselves. But then I also think that it means that it's really important that we do advocate for each other and we kind of create that strength for each other so that we can better advocate for ourselves and and everyone else. The beloved community. That's yes. <laughs> kind of what you're describing. I think what you both have just said is really important as an Advent message and that building the beloved community, that the way of love really is something that we can concentrate on. I am not I, I am not a person of color, I'm, I'm, but I can be a good ally. I can listen. I can support. I can help tell the stories. 
And, and that's the only way that we can build a beloved community, is if we get to know each other. And if we are willing to stand up, not just for what I want, but for what others want and need, and we join together. And I think that that's a good message that comes actually comes out of this gospel that people think is an awful gospel. I think it's a good message to begin Advent with. And it's a great way to turn Advent into a verb. I was thinking about the, well, one, the connectedness of everything. Like, I think the more we see that, like, your struggle and my struggle are connected and that we are in this together, um, that then we'll see we can be better. (laughs) We can be better people. Um, And then I also thought about, like, the where it tells you to stand up and raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. And I think for so many of us um, women in the church or LGBT or people of color or all of those communities um, that have sort of been knocked down, uh, we want that redemption uh, to come near. And sometimes I think that redemption may not happen until the coming of the kingdom or whatever, but other times I think we can see it as gradually as it's coming, like kind of like the, you see through a dimly lit window kind of thing. And um, I wondered about like, everybody talks about the sin of pride, but then I think for so many communities of color, we, we want them to have pride and we want them to lift their heads up because society kind of knocks them down. And I've always sometimes wondered about where that balance is and what that looks like. And if that's different for us as, uh, oppressed people versus uh, privileged people or whatever. I think there's a difference too between um, having pride in some in you know your heritage and um, your culture versus the kind of pride where you feel like everything that you've done that's positive is you know all just because of you and your own you know abilities and um, so I think that can be kind of a separation too, is just like, um, what, what is the pride in exactly? Is it in your ego or is it in something else that's, you know, more community related? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's it. Is it, is it all about you? That's the sin of pride. But to be proud of your heritage is community. And I, and I agree. I don't think that is not a sin. It's not a sin at all. So let's sort of shift over to uh, Jeremiah. And I think um, I've talked about this before. This isn't quite as clear in the Jeremiah as what I've read in others, but it says, you know, um, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And I remember them always saying from like the stump of Jesse. And I've talked about that before, where like the times where I think I've grown the most and learned the most is when I've sort of been cut down and left like a stump, you know, where you've just had this crazy experience and I feel like we've kind of are having that with COVID you know all of us have kind of been cut down in different ways people have lost jobs people have lost their health they've lost loved ones whatever it's been this we're kind of all this stump what do you think are things that we really wish we could spring up right now or things that we want to see spring up or maybe things that we are seeing spring up I know I know here in South Dakota one of the things that's really springing up has to do with the boarding schools and the, the traumatic history from that. And it comes out of, out of Canada with, uh, from their Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now they're going and, and using ground-penetrating radar, and this is how they're finding all these graves. There are something like 1,500 graves they've identified that they're almost certain hold the remains of children who were stolen from their families and put into the boarding schools. And so here in South Dakota, 
we're trying to make sure that this story is told in a way that people will finally understand the injustices that have been perpetrated upon indigenous people on Turtle Island since 14, late 1400s, and to be able to say, wait a minute, if we want righteousness, if we want to have righteousness, we have to learn the history, we have to listen, we have to, to take in the stories in such a way that it'll then cause us to make changes. Um, I, I don't know what some of the changes are going to be. I don't know how to achieve reconciliation because we haven't listened enough. Um, mm -hmm. But I know that there is, there is a path towards righteousness. And it includes us looking at a horrendous history of what Europeans and their descendants have done um, to the indigenous in this land, all, all of the Americas. Not to mention, not to not to ignore Africa or Asia, because the Europeans, yeah, my ancestors were not the best of people, and that's all there is to it. But we have to acknowledge that, and and if we want to achieve the eternal promise that is in Jeremiah, that the days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made, we have to believe that God is going to fulfill that promise. I had a professor in seminary who used to tell us, you know when the kingdom's going to come? It's when everybody prays that Lord's Prayer at the exact same time and they all actually mean it. They actually <laughs> mean the words. And that's the moment when God's finally going to say, now they understand and boom, that's when the kingdom will come. We have to mean it. You mentioned stories a few times and I think that that's kind of one way that we can look forward is like grabbing hold of that narrative and putting it in a light that does help give confidence and does help give pride in some sense because of that oppression you can feel more of that because you have this connection now with everybody who has gone through that same thing um and so just making sure that you're um able to tell the story in the way that that gives you guys Gives hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were following you. Because I think that's what gets us through this. It's all hope. It, you know, when we have hope, then we're willing to do and are able to do the things that God is calling us to do. Hmm. It's when you reach hopelessness hmm. that you can't, you, you can't feel God's love and you certainly can't live God's love. So hope is, is key to all of this. I think storytelling is really important, especially for the people that live through the stories. It'll help them feel that they're listened to and help heal themselves too. I know my aunt was going to boarding school. I don't remember where. She didn't have a negative, um, she didn't have, nothing happened to her negatively while she was in boarding school. But while she was away, she was the oldest of 13 siblings. So when she was away, um, her mother had passed away. And she didn't know that until I think she was um, in 10th grade. She was away, her, and then she just remembered stop, she stopped receiving packages from her mother. Her mother would like sew her uh, dresses and bake her some fry bread and package that all up. And it would be, uh, she would receive it like a week later. 
and she just stopped receiving packages. So during that time, her mother had passed away from breast cancer. And it was undiagnosed because um, my grandparents were born in 19, the early 1900s. So I had older grandparents who have all passed away before I was born. Um, so I think her telling the story of how she had to stop going to school because she was now the mother of her 12 siblings because she was the oldest. So I think her telling the story of how much struggle she went through after having to leave boarding school was also therapeutic for her and got a lot a lot off her chest just sharing that with her nieces her and her um, children. So I think this storytelling is very important um, and it will help heal people. Absolutely. They they are both empowering, like they help they help us to be empowered in telling the story. They can help us to heal, and they can help us to transmit like feelings and emotions in those stories to others. Right. So as you think about Advent, um, what are some things that come to mind like liturgically? As you're like, you know, a lot of people do like a little Advent wreath, or what are some things that you're thinking of, and how might we do that this year? Or what are some ideas you have to share with folks as they're planning their Advent stuff? I have to admit that until COVID hit, I've never been a fan of Advent wreaths. I have nothing against them, but they were not part of my growing up in the Catholic Church. Gosh knows I've run, I've done everything about it in the Episcopal Church in the last 25 years, but then COVID hit. And having an Advent wreath, actually physically lighting candles and letting those candles burn. And I don't, I don't, Turn, I, you know, I don't light them and then say the prayers and blow it out. It's like I go through a lot of candles because we need light in the middle of this darkness. And with all the stuff going on, all the other stuff going on in the world, all you know, the political stuff and you know, the North Koreans said, let's see how many missiles they can test. And and with all of that going on, I need light. And so for me, if I were in a particular parish right now, I would really be pushing it. But my Advent wreaths, it wouldn't just be those four candles, baby. We'd use a lot more candles. <laughs> and it would be like, stack them up, babies, because we're going to burn these babies every night for as soon as it gets dark for like two hours each one. So you're going to go through a lot because we need that light in the darkness that that seems to be trying to encompass us, encompassing us in the world. I think in the Navajo culture, there's a meaning to a lot of different things, especially like fire, flame. And that was something that we always acknowledge when we're in ceremony is the fire is here. It keeps us warm, cooks our food, and it helps keep um, light in our life, like you said. And then we have a fire poker where um, it helps us to... Make sure the fire is going strong as a representation of our lives growing strong and the togetherness of the flame and the warmth. So I really like the concept of fire and flame, and I never really understood the, the candles either. But like you said, during COVID, you have a lot more time to meditate and think about things with um, different meanings, I guess. And I always like to think about how gospels or readings or passages um, can be tied together with Navajo culture or any type of culture aside of, and because I do a lot of youth work too and children's ministry. So finding ways to make things parallel and compare and 
and share in um, tradition of our cultures and in the church is something that I like to look at. Katina, how is it as Orthodox? I think you guys actually have extra, I shouldn't say extra because for you it's just normal, but don't you have six weeks of Advent instead of like our four? Is it something I, like that? I think so. I don't know. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh>, sorry. <laughs> What is, is there something special that happens in that time? Do you have also like liturgical blue that you use? Do you have liturgical what? what is we it? usually use blue. Blue, like some people, you know, the colors shift depending on the liturgical season. So like certain holidays, it's like purple or blue or white. Or yeah, green. I think the colors do change. Honestly, I'm not sure what, wow, how the, color, <laughs> the colors change, but yeah. Some things I've seen people do, I think about like advent calendars, there's those pieces where people open, you know, that's something different people do. And I wonder what that might look like in our churches. Um, I've also seen people do like a reverse advent calendar, where it's like every day you bring something to the church. So it might be like, you know, bring a canned good that you're going to do this way, bring some dog food that you're going to give to a dog puppy shelter, bring this thing and they do that. Um, I've also seen folks do like old school things like they go caroling maybe with COVID you can't go caroling but if you're outside maybe you can um and I think about kind of like as the at least for us in the northern hemisphere as the days get shorter and shorter then we do experience that darkness a little different especially right after daylight savings time happens and uh, you feel that and then at the same time I'm always curious about when we talk about light and dark how do we talk about light and dark without um thinking about it in terms of whiteness and blackness as terms of race. How do we talk, you know, how do we think about that? And so I've heard, I've always wondered about that and I've heard different thoughts about that. So if you have anything you want to add, I think that'd be really helpful. How do you think about that? On the, the idea of the calendars and all, to go back to mm-hmm. that one for a minute, um, I have always advocated, you want to have the calendar where you open it up and you can take something out that's chill, but yeah, I like the I like the on the first day of Advent do this and the bringing the giving the sharing, so it it's I think it's more about uh, I look at it more like uh, as you're preparing for Passover. Uh, part of my family is ortho, they were I'm descended from Orthodox Jews on my father's side, and so you have to clean, and you have to get rid of, and and all of that. And so I like the idea of the cleaning out and the the giving and the sharing. Um, I, I have to tell you, Shaniqua, I've, I've actually never thought, and this is because of my privilege privilege of being a white woman, uh, that I've never thought about light and dark being having anything to do with racism um, in the terms of Advent. That mm-hmm. one, I, so, um, you know, I'd like to hear more on that because I think that that's a good thing that this is a time in this country. Having uh, Native lives, all, all BIPOC lives matter. This is an important thing for us. And I think that's a good discussion that needs to be shared. Yeah, I honestly had never thought about it like that either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think from a medical perspective, one thing that we talk about is like implicit bias. And so um, they've done studies where they've found um, that African-American women are, um, they'll, they will get blood products less quickly than white women will. And they've done this at different, like a variety of hospitals, um, different locations around the U.S. And it's still 
true. And so we have to ask ourselves, because I know a lot of people, well, I'm not racist. And it's, I think it's recognizing the implicit bias and the ways that you might not even know that you're being Mm. racist or judgmental and, and not to be, you know, offended that you're someone saying that you might be acting in a way that's unequal, but to ask yourself, well, if I am, I want to know how, I want to know why I want to know, you know, how it can change. And, um, so I think thinking about, you know, like, is it, and these were, these studies were done on like uh, labor and delivery floors. So thinking about are we not listening to the other person's pain as much, you know, when they start talking about having pain, do we not hear that from them? Are we not um, listening as much? And I kind of think that that's where this stems from, where, where the, the lack of quick response stems from. It's just not listening. Hmm. I think I have so many ideas for videos and media. It just takes time and people. So it never gets done. But I think something that would be um, nice to see is something about language, uh, different languages from the church, an Advent calendar type of video where every day would be uh, a different phrase like joy or happiness or something like that in different languages. That would be so beautiful, GJ. I like that. GJ, we've got we've got like four and a half, five weeks. We can get this done. We can do this. I think that because would be awesome. Wouldn't it be? And our church is, has so many languages in it. And oh, I yeah. mean, you've got like a whole, in South Dakota, our largest congregation is the Sudanese congregation. Um, they, they out. So usually when we do our convention, we'll have English and Dakota or Lakota and Dinka as like the three that we read, but I'm just broader than that. You know, you could include Spanish and I mean, that's just our diocese. And then you've got to think about all of the other ones. And if we think it's broader church, reach, reach out to you, Katina, we got like Greek and Russian and I don't know what they speak in Antiochia. I don't even know if that's a place, but it's one of the branches of the Orthodox church. But, but we've got all of these other ones that we could be reaching out to. Well, and we can do it for the entire, um, the entire, Episcopal Church in 16 mm-hmm. countries um, mm-hmm. and bring in some of the indigenous languages from the 16 countries. The new superintending presbyter on the Rosebud Episcopal Mission West is Mayan. He's one quarter Mayan. And, you know, to get the, the Mayan words in there and, and reach mm-hmm. out that way, never mind the Anglican communion. We probably, we've probably got about 3,000 languages representative, represented in the Anglican communion. And so, come on, we can do this, you guys. I think it would be a great Advent thing to do. About the um, the Greek Orthodox Church in Sioux Falls, when it was started, there was a lot of mostly just Greeks that were there. But um, I went there over a period of time where we had a lot of people coming in, like Ethiopians, Eritreans, Russians, Serbians. We had so many different cultures. And they came to the church, and it was definitely difficult for some people to um accept a whole variety of different backgrounds because i think um to some degree they felt like oh no is this going to um like take away from the greekness of the services and everything and i think just over time it took some work but over time we kind of learned that we're all dealing with the same thing we're all dealing with 
feeling like we want to hear our own language in church. And um, we like now when we do the Lord's Prayer, we will go around and do everybody's um, like the Russians will say it and then the, the they'll say it in Spanish. And um, sometimes they get like six or seven different languages going. And I think that we've all kind of realized that like we can support each other by it goes back to advocacy by advocating for each other we can kind of all get something um out of it and sort of appreciate each other's cultures and our own that's awesome i think that's a challenge for a lot of churches right now too as they're um, as we're looking at populations and shifting there's a lot of uh, really rapidly growing uh latino latina ministries um, and there's often, they have to come into a church where there might only be a few people. And I hear that story throughout the Episcopal church with different cultures, not just uh, Latino Latinas, but also like the Hmong congregation in the Twin Cities, they, they were Catholics and they came over and said, the Catholic church is treating us really badly. Would we be welcome here at our church? And sure enough, I don't remember how long ago it was after that, like a week or two weeks later, they brought all hundred and however many of them came processing into um, the church with its like eight white folks that, that was like the whole congregation then is like this huge transformation and there's some of those challenges that come up that you have to figure out how do we maintain and be beloved community and what does it mean to be open and we have to stop thinking about this as us and yours but ours right collectively mm -hmm. um, those are great I love hearing those stories and how people have been lifting those up and how the church then you know grew um, by leaps and bounds by these people being welcoming any suggestions you have for preaching these uh, texts for this uh, first Sunday of Advent? And if you're not a preacher, which may, may happen, I think every lay person should have to preach at least once in their life. But if you're not a preacher, what would you want to hear uh, if you were hearing? What kind of a message would you want to hear? I would, I would definitely be preaching that, that Advent is an active verb and that, that this is the time for the preparation, like I said, just as you clean your house when your mother comes to visit, you know, so you're, you're going to be active then. So don't, don't let Advent make you sit back and be passive, particularly when the world is telling us to go and buy, buy, buy. Mm. Um, and, and this year with the, the supply shortages, you know, it, the, the difficulties in supply chains around the world. Two weeks ago, I received for the first time ever from Amazon a catalog, a, an actual printed catalog for buying children's uh, gifts, and, and it's um, almost an inch thick, and they're saying, buy it now. And I don't, I don't like Advent being subsumed by a culture that says we have to go to parties, we have to, you know, we have to uh, spend all our time in the stores, we have to spend all our money buying useless junk. Um, so it's, it, this is about trying to build the beloved community. This is about righteousness. This is, you know, Advent is about, about making a, a intentional step forward every day into God's way of love, not for yourself, but for everybody else. Hmm. I'll have to remember that for when I'm, I don't even know where I'm right. doing that Sunday. <laughs> we haven't done that calendar yet. <laughs> for me, I think it would be helpful to sort of be asked 
as a challenge a little bit, like what are you going to do or how are you going to change so that it kind of forces you to ask yourself the question and answer it in a really specific way. Because I think it's, it's easy to um, even just say you're going to be active, but then if you don't really have a plan then, um, or think about the ways you're going to, to, to do that, um, it, it can be easily kind of overlooked and you can skate by a little bit. I think for me, I would say Advent would be a time to watch and listen, um, be more prayerful. Take take time and look at the videos that we're going to be putting out during Advent. <laughs> awesome. I think I'm really stuck on this message about stand up and raise your heads. What does that mean? Is is it also it's like like having uh, belief in yourself and self efficacy and self esteem, but also maybe raising your heads to look out and see the world and see what's going on so you could connect with each other. Because I think so many times if we're like on our phone, we're looking down on our phone and we don't see the people right in front of us. I think that's probably where I would go with that is like raise your head and kind of use that metaphor to look around. Um, and the other thing that I sometimes preach on with Advent and with Lent both is it's uh, in Lakota culture, we have Hamblecha, which we kind of call like crying for a vision or a vision crest which is a very active thing. Like you are sitting there, but you're also actively praying and doing things, but it's a time to like listen and kind of hear, you know, what is God calling me to do right now? And is there, is this a time for me to shift with whatever? Am I supposed to be pivoting about my work or pivoting about whatever? Um, what am I hearing? Those would be kind of maybe the things that I would think about. I think it's important too, to think about how um, action doesn't necessarily mean that you it's about you that you're going in and saving the day or whatever that action can be listening action can be reaching out action can be inviting somebody else to speak or to educate you on their perspective or whatever those are all action items that can can sometimes be more effective than than you actually going in and and doing something yourself right how do we be in right relationship and what does that look like it doesn't like coming in like i'm going to be your savior it might be like right i'm coming to build a relationship with you and see how that works and where we're connected awesome i have to i have to tell you that stand up and raise your head to me is go out there and be bold mm. it's a, it is about boldly and passionately living living god's dream you know uh, to to begin with imago dei we are all created in the image of god so if we're all created in the image of God, we're created in an image of love and an image of community. That's what the image of, those are the two images of God, right? So our whole mission in our life is to live in love and community. That is the actual mission of our lives. That should be the definition of what mission is. Go live in love, in community, and don't worry about what it's going to cost you. Don't worry about about how hard it's going to be. Don't worry about when people are going to reject you. Just go and do it. Live it. Proclaim it. Be it. Mm. I'm thinking too just about like so many of our communities who are um, oppressed. Like think about women. Um, like if you've seen folks and they're in that low space and then as they raise their head they're so much more productive and they can just like it's like they when they're in their power and they move forward like it's just a, an amazing thing to see um and how that's such a transformative resurrection experience right 
Mm-hmm. I, I also like the idea of, I think year C says the invitation extend the invitation. So I think inviting more people to be with us. Um, I think right now during COVID, it's kind of easier to invite people into the church, like into um, experiencing church because we have Zoom, we have different things that we're able to do. But how do we invite them and have them participate um, with technology? We were talking about videos, and um, but also in our own communities, inviting the people that have never been invited before. There were some conversations that I read recently about um, inviting the people that into ceremony or into church. Um, and there was a dispute between, should we invite somebody that is under the influence of drugs or alcohol into our doors? And um, how would creators see us doing that? So I think I've always worked with at-risk people, at-risk children, and I think that's one thing that has never been really fully grasped in church or in society. It was always forget the people that you don't see, and I think that's something that also would be great to teach during Advent is to extend an invitation, a smile, a hi, or just showing people that you notice them, that you are there. Mm. That's so important. I remember as a child, when I was learning to acolyte at Church of Jesus in Rosebud, and um, my grandpa was like, you know, if they come up to that railing, you give them communion. Like, you are not the person that gets to decide whether they are worthy or not. He was like, none of us are worthy, but because of God's grace, we are worthy. And so if they come up to that railing, you give them communion. Um, And I always, always remember that. Um, And I kind of think about that as we think about who's who is, who is worthy and who isn't. One quote that I read recently that I really liked, um, it was something like, anyone only ever does exactly what you would do if you were them. And it really helps me, I think, just like not judge because you think about how everybody's grows up in their own situation, their own circumstances, and you had it very different than somebody else. And mm. um, not only is it important to, to learn about that, but also just not not to judge because they're they're dealing with with something totally different than you. Well, thank you everybody so much for being willing to be uh, share your voice, share your wisdom, and uh, share your stories. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Katina, GJ, and Lauren. Thanks to our production team, especially Chris, Phoebe, Nick, and Polly. If you were moved by what you heard today, I'd love it if you would rate, review, and of course share our podcast. Until next time, let your light shine.